Boogie Down with reformed Dabo girl Chase Masterson as she takes you inside Discovery every week on the all-new Star Trek podcast, Disco Nights. From the producers of Inglorious Trexperts, wherever you listen to the 430 movie. And keep looking at the stars. I'm Ashley Miller. I'm Robert Meyer Burnett. I'm Darren Docterman. And I'm Mark A. Altman. We are the Inglorious Trexperts. We all are. Even all though of one us. of us. Said. Yes, all of us. <laughs> My goodness. Welcome back. <laughs> so say we all. Welcome back, Connor. We're here <laughs> for the exciting conclusion. This is the third part of our two part series devoted to the 50 greatest episodes of Star Trek. Ever. You can't contain the top 50, Mark. We can't. That's why we broke you. it into three episodes. First episode was 51 <laughs> through, <laughs> through, through 25. Second episode was 25 through 10, or to 11, actually. It, and it this went will, to 11. This, yeah, will this be, one went to 11. We, this one will be it. The top 10 episodes. This is the one you've been waiting for. You may have even skipped the other episodes to find out what are your top 10 episodes of Star Trek of all time. I have to tell you, how did we come up with this list? Well, wasn't easy. The Trek experts <laughs> around the galaxy who all weighed in with their picks, including previous guests on the show, future They're mostly guests on the Earth-based, show, by the way. And as well as your um, regular guests, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to once again be joined by director Robert Meyer Burnett. It's great to be here, Mark. Great to be working with you again. His new show, uh, uh, Observations, is available on YouTube now. Go check it out. It's on the Burnett Network. And uh, Ashley, Ashley, writer, producer Ashley Miller is here. Ashley, of course, is a writer, uh, producer. Uh, his screenplays include X-Men First Class, Thor, and he's worked on such TV shows as Agent Lore. Cody Banks, by the way. Yeah, and Agent Cody Banks. I, I thought I was introducing him. <laughs> you both are. You love and him. Agent Cody Banks, which Rob was a producer on. So there you go. Because we'll show Agent Cody Banks some love. And, of course, he's working on the new Red Sonja. And uh, hiring Brian to direct looks like a big win for uh, New Image uh, with the huge success of Bohemian Rhapsody. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I'm tremendously excited. Almost as excited as I am to be here in episode three of our two-part top 50, 51 episode countdown (laughs) of the best episodes of Star Trek all time. And of course, I'm thrilled uh, to be here with my uh, my co-host as always, uh, Darren Docterman. Hi, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Darren. You know, I'm happy to be here. It, it's, brought, it's been brought to my attention that unlike Comic-Con, I have not plugged my uh, my books enough on this. Uh, so I just want to say- Who told you Did you, you write a book? <laughs> <laughs> Harvey the White Rabbit. No, uh, I, I, uh, I want to remind you uh, this holiday season that uh, you can order uh, The 50-Year Mission, uh, Volumes 1 and 2, about 50 years of Star Trek. And, of course, our new book, uh, So Say We All, An Oral History of Battlestar Galactica, available on Amazon or wherever you purchase books now. That's what I'm getting all my friends, including you. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Keep 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 those uh, keep those royalties Do coming. You guys, right. This is an honest question. Did, did you guys plan on having two volumes of the fifty year mission, or was it written as one book that you split? Kind of because... like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know, he's making a joke, but honestly, the analogy is sound because we had originally sold the book as one book, intended to write it as one book, and as we were getting close to the end of the process. 
we realized the manuscript, like literally, you could kill somebody by dropping this manuscript on someone. <laughs> you still can. That's the beauty yeah. Of it. <laughs> and and, and uh, we went to our editor and we said, look, you know, we really think there's a natural demarcation point between the two eras of Star Trek. What if we divide it into two books? And he was very, very. Um, uh, I shouldn't say uh, uh, he was very skeptical of the idea. He said, "Well, let me read it, and I'll be the judge." So we sent him the manuscript. He read it, and we got an email when he finished. It said, "It's two books," and that was great. It was the, the ultimate validation. Great. One book. Here are two. So, so they they published the first book in uh, uh, June, I think, of 2016, and then the second book came out in August of 2016. And I can tell you now, I mean, both were wildly successful beyond our imagination. But Volume One was the bigger seller than Volume Two. Volume One on the original series was bigger, uh, bigger seller than the second book, uh, and also. Um, I just found out that the, the, the first book is going to be out in paperback next year. That's exciting. Which uh, we've been wondering when that's going to happen, and um, it's, uh, it should, which is exciting because, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to more people seeing it. And uh, very proud of those books. You know, it's been a while. I, I hadn't been a journalist for a long time. And to go back and write with Ed Gross, who I have so much respect for, for his writing. That's how I met him. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, uh, to go back and, 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 and immerse myself in this world was, was, was really great. And, you know, to, to have it lead here to this Trexperts podcast, which has just been so much fun this last year, um, it's, uh, it's been great. But thank you for asking about the book. Thus, but now no more cracks well, about the book. Thus ended the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I, like, I realize, like, in, and I don't know how many episodes we've done, I barely mentioned the book. And, and I'm genuinely proud of it, you know, so it's be. not like I'm, I'm shilling the Ginzu knife. So I did want to mention there may be people who are enjoying the podcast who, who would like to read the book. So I should mention the book. And I think Isaac that's Ginella fair. got to eat, yo. <laughs> yeah. It's a great book. <laughs> and that's and true. you can cut through a tin can and slice through a tomato. And, you know, Doug Drexler was talking about the virtues of exercising on a recent episode, and it's great for – it's very heavy, and you could use it to, you know, do arm, muscle strength. I think and... you might be stretching a little bit, but well, that's no, okay. There's two books. There's one for Yeah, you, you can curl. You can do curls with You can do curls with the books. Indeed. What's a curl? Uh, yeah. It's a comet with an east-west trajectory. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, now – Back to the podcast. Well, that was Superman yeah. too, yo. It, it was. Casey, can you uh, can you uh, can you lead us in to part three of our two part series, the fifty greatest Star Trek episodes of all time? Well, you just said it. <laughs> well, I didn't say it. Casey, I need Casey Kasem to say. It. Well, then let's bring him in. Casey, stop recording a Scooby Doo podcast next door. I think he's gone ten Come two. Come on in in uh, 10-1. <laughs> Welcome LBS. to part three of the two-part Inglorious Trexperts Top 50 Star Trek episodes of all time, starting with 51. <laughs> Welcome to the last ten, or the first ten, depending on which way you look at it. <laughs> Let's join the countdown and count up. Or down. Okay. Well, number 10. I think that's all you paid for Casey. So he's got to go. <laughs> it's like that episode of Arrested Development where they hire Matlock and Andy Griffith to sit yeah. in the room with them to intimidate <laughs> the opposition in court. And they just, <laughs> they just have Andy Griffith sitting there. And then they couldn't, they couldn't afford Andy Griffith, so they brought Harry Hamlin from L.A. Law to sit with the, the uh, defense. It was, it was very funny. At number 10, we have the episode that made Gene Roddenberry say, this is too funny. This doesn't belong in Star Trek. The Trouble with Tribbles from Season 2, uh, written, of course, by our friend David Gerald. Uh, his basically first gig, certainly on TV. Um, 
And uh, there were sections of it written by Gene Kuhn, specifically the uh, the opening teaser, uh, and, uh, you know, massaged a bit here and there. It's a wonderful sort of uh, trip into a lighter uh, comedic episode. Um, and we were talking about this a little earlier, that it it uh, it dances the line between comedy and drama really well. Uh, and it doesn't make fun of our characters. It, it it only puts them in strange situations, and it's fun to see their reactions to them. Well, and Rob, you know how great Shatner is with comedy, having directed him in Free Enterprise. But um, <laughs> but uh, God, is he good in this episode, isn't he? He's so he actually. My has, dear Captain Koloff. Oh, I love the moment when he, he says to Nils Barris, "You're not taking this seriously," and he says, "I'm taking this very seriously. It is you I do not." Yeah. Oh, it's so Rob, that's great. not even the quote. Well, whatever the quote is, <laughs> why don't you do it for us? You're taking this entire situation extremely lightly. Mr. Barris, I look at this situation as very important. It is you I take lightly. You're right. That's, <laughs> oh, it's much you funnier when you say it. That's true. Shatner's amazing, though. His, and and that's when you hit him. And it all, yeah. it all comes from his interplay with the other actors. Yes. Because none of that is written. None of his funny bits are actually written that way. It plays that way because he's playing off of Captain Koloff. Mm-hmm. He's playing off of Nils Barris. He's he's William reacting. Schallard, the great William Schaller. The great William Schaller, you know, mm-hmm. who who has been in everything and uh, we just lost him uh, last year. Mm-hmm. But it's so good and and the little interplay that he has with Cyrano Jones, where Cyrano Jones says, uh, right, if you'll excuse me, I have a ship to tend to, au revoir, and he leaves. And then we hear Shatner do the same thing dealing with Barris. If, you, if you'll excuse me, I have a ship to tend to, au revoir. And he does the same thing, and it's so great because none of that is scripted. It's all sort of within the situation, and it's so well played. You know what I love about the show? I never got that. I never realized that he parrots the same line as Cyrano Jones until you just said it. Really? I've seen that episode not a hundred times, maybe five hundred times. Yeah. Yeah. Conservatively. And I ta- never got that until you just said it. How many times I'm an have idiot. you listened to it? See, oh, that's another, the difference. Another fifty times. On the, on the, that was the, one of those that. I still have the cassette that I originally recorded off the air. Of course you do. I still have I it. I never got that. Yeah, absolutely. God. Yeah. I should have my Trek credentials revoked. Well, we'll see about that. We'll we'll see what happens at the end of the show. I'm not an inglorious <laughs> Trek expert. I'm an inglorious think he knows a little something Aww. about Star Trek. Well, you know what else is good about this episode? How all of our secondary cast members get little moments to shine. Yes, they do. You Chekhov does. Chekhov on Uhura do. Chekhov. Uh, do, does Sulu get one though? Well, Sulu is No, he was supposed uh, to be in it, but he was filming the Green Beret. And in fact, when he came back, apparently he was kind of a dick to Walter because Walter got all this all great stuff. Yeah. And he felt he was like stealing, like, yeah. because he was. But Sulu, it well, was supposed to be when you don't Sulu, show up to work. But he went right. off to do Green Berets, and then that went over. And so that's why he's missing for all these great episodes. And, and they give all this great stuff to Walter. And this is why George Takei was a day player. And I'll leave it there. Um, <laughs> well, but I mean, it is great, and Scotty, of course, is perfect. Scotty is great, great. One of his great. I'm scenes not saying ever. that the Enterprise should be hauling garbage. I'm saying that the Enterprise should be hauled away as garbage. And look, I love William Campbell, and that's another great example. My Tr- dear, Trelane and Koloth are two totally different characters. You never felt, oh, that's the guy from Squire yeah. of Athos. It was great. He's he's great. He's great, and and it's. It's another instance where the Klingons are 
you know, they're not they're not evil. They're not the bad guys. They're just adversaries. They're just dicks. Right. They, they, also, they also know what they're, you know, they, they know they, what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They're having fun. And and I love the idea that you you establish the universe, the K7 station. It was the yeah. first time we saw wow, there's there's these deep space stations. And what a great and, miniature that was. Oh, yeah, it's how many awesome. times did you build that as a model kit? Oh. At least 3 times. And it was never accurate. Yeah. yeah. I was but it was cool. It, it, it was so, so cool that if you go to um uh what you call it? Space Mountain. Uh-huh. Tomorrowland at Disneyland. Like they have like sort of the space station K. I forget what number they give it, but oh, like yeah, the image know. they have of that space station is basically that. I, I mean, never got that either. I'm going yeah. to Disney on Sunday this Sunday. Yeah, I am so going to Space Mountain to look at that because yeah. I've never noticed that before. It's that's uh, awesome. Look, it it is it is always in the top uh, you know top Star Trek lists that are ever brought and deservedly forward. so. It's always fun because it's it, so much fun. And oh, he's eating my grain. It's you know it's just these very wild lines that come to mind whenever you think about it, and it's just so much fun. But you said I love the disdain he shows for Nils Barris as just a you know diplomat. And Star Trek often did that in the original series; they're very disdainful. Whether it's Nancy Hedford in Metamorphosis or uh, that Pop and Jay Fox in right. Taste Armor Again, you know Kirk does not suffer fools gladly. And you know if he doesn't like you, you know it. It's just like Shatner. If Shatner doesn't like you. You know it. If he I likes never you, questioned the authority or the intelligence of a representative of the Federation. Until now. <laughs> Another thing is that even though this is a, a funny romp, it is still a great science fiction story about the dangers of an invasive species and yep. what it can do to, to you know, not its native environment. And we, we, we've seen this problem. There's walking fish places here in America that are brought in by, what, the Asian carp or whatever. The, the, really, there are. There, there are fish that can now walk out of water and into other bodies of water that have invaded the United States. We have See, to stop this right now. I, I thought it was a <laughs> we metaphor. We have to send for... troops to the border. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a metaphor for having children. I mean, because they're really kind of cute and cuddly. They get into everything. They eat all your food. You can't really control them. And the last thing you want to do is beam them onto the Klingon engine. Room. He was inspired by cats, I think. Really? No. It, it, was the, the, it, was the, musical? it was the rabbits in oh, Australia. The, the rabbits? Oh, no, no. Yes. But well, in terms of the purring oh, and, oh, and, yes, and yes, taking yeah. all this love and giving back nothing. Right. But, you know. Originally, the title was go- was fuzzy, fuzzy, the fuzzy, the fuzzy, and then a happened. fuzzy thing happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but yes, that that is true. That is what inspired the actual plot. Right. But I think cats were very much the 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 their purring having that effect on the human nervous system. Um, it, it's it's Spock, of course, is immune. That <laughs> he's kind of not. No, that he clearly is. That's the joke. That's, I know. That's the joke, Ashley. It's Let a joke. Let me explain yes. the comedy to you. Hey. <laughs> Fine. Comedy uh, Lesson in me. comedy from Aww. Darren Diamond. <laughs> Perhaps we can get Dan Vever on the phone. Right up for The Simpsons. Uh, um, but uh, it's it's such a delightful episode. We talked about the score previously in episode you know, 600 of our countdown. And, uh, you know, the score is so wonderful and it adds so much. Um, the performances across the board are wonderful. Um, it, and it's just laugh out loud funny, you know. And, every time. And, and of course, every time. you know, the wonderful Stanley Adams as uh, as Cyrano Jones is a character equally as uh, as enjoyable, in my mind, as Harry Mudd. Yeah. Uh, for if not more so. Different yeah. reasons, yeah. They're absolutely. very similar. They, they are. They're very similar. They are. Um, and, you know, maybe there is a similarity because previously uh, – um, David Gerald 
did rewrites on iMud. Right, right. So perhaps that character was in his mind when he was, uh, you know. And it's a great fiddles. book. If you, it's out of print, but I think you can get it on Kindle because I think David uh, got the rights back and put it out. But the making of the Trouble with Tribbles it's is a wonderful companion yeah. piece to making of Star Trek about the making of the episode and the evolution that the um, scripts went through, and and a lot about Gene Kuhn. Um, and I, I, I definitely would recommend that to people who are interested in the history of the original series, and particularly this episode. All right, let's move to number nine. Number nine. Well, what more needs to be said about number nine? This would be the end of the third season of TNG, the famous, the infamous, the great, the best of both worlds. Part Ri- one. Part one, written by Michael Piller. <laughs> Uh, and it is the return of the Borg. We talked about Q Who. The Borg are back a, a season and a half later, basically, without Q in tow. Um, this is a very scary, very intriguing episode that from the very beginning starts with another great teaser where a Federation colony has been decimated. They're standing in the center of town, which is now a gigantic crater. And uh, basically the same teaser as Arena. It is kind of basically the same <laughs> teaser as Arena. Except and Arena had that had great building the that they used in Mission yeah. Possible. Right. And then uh, it's George Murdoch. George yeah, Murdoch. George Murdoch, God. He he comes on he, as a Starfleet, and as Dr. Salak from Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and he brings Elizabeth Dennehy, Shelby, who's one of the great guest stars in Next Generation Agreed. history. Who doesn't want to see Captain Jellicoe with and Commander Shelby? Shelby. I, yeah. would, I would pay good money to see that show. Actually, yeah. the actor Brian Dennehy's daughter, mm-hmm. uh, she's just tremendous as Shelby. Whatever who, happened to her? Like, she's still I, around. She's still around. Don't she, you know? Didn't you write a book? She was in David Fincher's The Game. That's right. She's a Facebook friend of mine. Is she? You should ask oh, yeah. her. Ask her what she's doing these days. I will. I will do that. Um, we miss her. She's, she her. was amazing, and, and she comes on, and she's a real go-getter. She's gunning for Riker's position. Everyone thinks Riker's going to take a ship of his own, but as as uh, uh, Riker will tell you himself, he never liked the way he was written because he's always like supposed to be a captain. He's always being offered his own command, and he never... He never took them, and Jonathan Frakes says it made him look like a prat. Yeah, he uh, he says that because he our, is our documentary. Um, and then, of course, the Borg show up, and they take Picard, and they transform him in a into Locutus. I can be captain now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they transform him into Locutus, Locutus of Borg, a spokesperson. Now the Borg have a, a spokesperson for their eventual assimilation of humanity to sort of make the transition easier. And this episode is just a wonderful, wonderful episode where the tension and the interplay between the characters, the personal interplay between Riker and Shelby, and then the tension uh, of the Borg finally arriving. And in an unthinkable sequence, a really great sequence, they, the, the Borg are on the bridge of the Enterprise and they steal Picard. Picard shows up and you are left wondering... Are they going to be able to defeat the Borg with their new weapon channeled through the main deflector dish of the Enterprise? And it's breathtaking. And, you know, the um, this episode, I swear to God, I was, I was sitting here thinking, like, uh, well, there's this great moment, then that great moment. Then I realized that every goddamn moment in this episode is awesome. Um, and it is it's a it's about something. And it has a real character point of view in the sense that it is truly Riker's episode. Michael Piller would say later that he really felt like he was writing a story about his own struggle with whether or not he mm. was going to stick around on Star Trek. And, That's and in it my comes book. through. 
Right. Uh, well, hey, you know, you write a book about Star Trek, um, As a matter of fact. And, and you just you feel that in in every scene that becomes the subject. Whether it's the admiral saying to Picard, "We keep pulling the captain's chair out for Riker. We just need him to sit down," you know, or even Riker just you know just getting his dander up over Shelby, just being Shelby and doing what she should be doing, and his right. whole speech to her. It was like it was it was a, such a great moment for him, even though he was reacting out of weakness. You know, when he says, "You she ever slams him back hard mm-hmm. too." It's great. Oh, but she's what great. he says, what he says, his whole line to her is like, you know, if you pull an end run around me like like that again, mm-hmm. it's like I will snap you back so hard you'll think you're a first year kid. It's cadet. so funny it's because so she's yep. such a great character, but then there's that like casual '90s sexism where like George Murdoch is like leering at her and he's saying, "Oh, she, you know, Picard's like, hey, she's like, you know, pretty together. She's pretty awesome." And he's like, "Only an old man's fantasies, you know." It's like, uh, oh, come yeah. on. It's like you look at it now and it's just it's a little bit. It went you win a little bit at it um you know the enlightened 24th century and a lot of it's like come on uh, i i i have to say that um god is so much that works about best of world both worlds part one uh ron <laughs> jones's score uh, amazing is sensational uh you know it's this great uh cliffhanger uh which which really left us begging for more it was the first time in a season of next generation ended and you're like just can't yeah. wait My for it to come back television screen and like, i can't believe they just did that you know uh it is one of the great tv cliffhangers of 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 all time and just uh just a sensational uh episode um we talked about Elizabeth Dennehy, you know, a great a great episode that really helped Frakes' character and the and the character of Riker. You know, really great production design in the in the Borg ship. The Borg ship looked pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, whole thing had a very cinematic feel to it. Um, it felt like we were really watching a, a Star Trek movie with the Next Generation characters, like in, in a way that I think in, that many of the the actual movies did not feel like that. Um, and I think because it was it was so tight, it was so specific. All the scenes felt necessary. All the scenes felt like they were moving this story of Riker forward, which is why I even would rise to the defense of 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 part two as as the successor to this episode. It's like regardless of what you think of you know sleep, the simple fact is that we're still on the same journey, and it and it works. Guinan telling Riker, it's like you know if Captain Picard wrote the book on this ship, you need to throw that book away, mm-hmm. and. And just the who Riker shows the audience that and his crew that he really is deep down. It's like he earns the right at the end of that episode to say, I'm going to continue to be Captain Picard's number one. Right. Well, I love the fact and, and Pillars had said that, um, you know, when he wrote this, he thought he wasn't coming back to, you know, to Star Trek. So he wrote himself into a corner knowing other people would have to write him out of it. So when he decided, you know, got lured into coming back for a season he really, you know, was in a really had a quandary because, like, how the hell do I get myself out of it? I don't think that part two is nearly as effective as part one, um, but uh, and I, I think there are a lot of things I truly don't like about part two. But um, but I guess you know there was no easy way to. I, I don't think there really is a very sad. The same way we talked about. There's no way to really follow up Q who. It, it, the way it should have been followed up, which is you can't, or they destroy the Federation. You know, right. it's the same thing with part one, where this needed to go is not where it could go in an episodic TV series. Right. You know, with recurring characters and everything. Because Picard should have never been returned. You right. Know, if they def- right. It you know. should have been. But the thing is that actually, I think, in the first viewing of part two, kind of worked to that episode's favor. Because what they really established, and it's kind of brilliant, by introducing Shelby in the way that they did, by giving Riker the problem that they gave him, by showing this episode as being a story of him growing into command, 
what you believe by the end of it is that there is a Star Trek show that there could be a next generation with Captain Riker and Commander Shelby as his first officer, mm-hmm. and you would absolutely accept it as much as you would miss Patrick Stewart, that that show would work. Could you imagine if they played the long game and they didn't win? They got the Borg to leave, but Locutus stayed Locutus. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you play the entire fourth season and, and you do instead of I Borg, then they go back and they get Captain Picard a right. season and a half later, what In that would have done. the streaming version of the show? Yes, uh, I yeah. was just thinking yeah. that. You know what would be so great? If somebody who has more time than us um, <laughs> went, went back and reworked Next Generation, you know, <laughs> as what it would be if it was produced today. Like, I'd love to see Next Generation told through the lens of a Netflix show, like where you actually reimagine Next Generation, you know, with serialization, w- going to those darker places, you know, dropping the episodes like Night Terrors, doing 10 episode <laughs> seasons. I mean, it'd be well, really interesting to see that show we'll reinvented. we'll see that in the new Picard show. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, but that you know, it's a different point in his life. It's a different character. You know, it's like regardless whether the show's great or not, it, it's a different show, and it's it, you know, I'd love to see. Um, I just I don't know. It's a, it's another it, it, Marvel had that great car, comic. What if you know? Right, this right, is right. a what if which we'll never really be able to answer. Although maybe somebody on the internet right now is saying that's a great idea. I'm going to edit it together <laughs> and do a whole thing. Good, go 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 with God. Well, uh, our next what if is what if we go to the next number? Yes, but before that, we need the Rafe Needleman trivia moment. Okay, guys. uh, (laughs) Oh, this is something we're doing now. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Rafe Needleman trivia moment. This is uh, randomly, we will ask questions from the official Star Trek trivia book. By uh, Rafe Needleman. By Rafe Needleman. Organian. Has not responded to our hails. And uh, (laughs) we are attempting to get a hold of him on Twitter. This was published in 1980. Apparently, Rafe Nealman does not know what he's now a respected journalist and doesn't want anybody to know he, he wrote this. But as but long we as he know. We doesn't, know, Rafe. doesn't we know. respond to us, um, we will continue to torment him. Okay. That's what you call toxic fandom. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, question number 555. According to Dagger of the Mind, yeah. did Dr. Noel ever have any training in hyperpower circuits? According to Dagger of the Mind, did Dr. Noel ever have any training in hyperpower circuits? No. No. Okay, we're about to find out. Okay. The answer is no. The answer is, going to the answer key, the answer (laughs) key is no. But Kirk says she really doesn't need any. All she has to know is touch the wrong line and you're you're dead. dead. Dead, dead, dead. Okay, well, you did good. You guys are one for one, which means you qualify. Rob didn't answer. I didn't answer. Oh, well, Rob, I have a question for you. We have two no's and an abstention. Because I'll tell you why I didn't answer. I thought that there was, yeah, there was the Kirk line or something to be answered, but that wasn't in the question. Mega voltage. Okay, question 89, Rob Burnett. This is only for Rob Burnett. No one else may answer. Oh, man, I'm on the spot now. In Mud's Women, what does Kirk charge Mud with? In Mud's Women, what does Kirk charge Mud with piracy, and the correct answer is the correct answer is to answer eighty nine. Oh, galaxy, and we thought you were a Trek expert. Galaxy travel without flight plan affecting a menace to navigation. Operating a space vehicle without master's papers. Wow, Wow. we are losing our license to broadcast as the inglorious Trek experts. Soon we will be the inglorious Trek fans. Ooh. Here well, at, uh, let's not do that. Let's 
Let's go back through. Hey, I didn't list. even know that Captain Kirk was echoing Cyrano Jones's quote, and I mean, you know, I'm I'm frankly disappointed in you. I, I am to be too. quite honest. I'm disappointed in myself. <laughs> Number eight. Number eight. We have a doubleheader on here, a tripleheader technically, the cage and the menagerie. Sabotage. <laughs> the menagerie. Yeah. Is that a restaurant? It is now. The menagerie. Um, no, I, I was trying. Menagerie I was trying to bring a nice little place you got here, Mr. Pike. I was trying to bring a little French Canadian in honor of Bill Shatner, oh. who who is only in a little bit of this. Um, How could he be part French? Well, <laughs> he was born in Montreal. Montreal, okay. fair enough. Um, look, the cage and the menagerie. Uh, the cage, of course, is the first pilot for the show, um, made uh, with great expense. And with great expense comes great uh, responsibility. Great responsibility, which is what I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, we talked about this a little before on a previous episode that Gene Roddenberry did a brilliant thing to uh, make use of this first pilot and incorporate it into a two part episode, uh, which, while basically keeping costs down way down because it it was a bottle show technically uh and he was able to incorporate this old footage as footage 13 years ago from Spock's previous mission 11 um, no this was 13 years ago was it he served with Pike for 11 years oh you're right oh. you know being a trexpert doesn't involve knowing knowing trivia Let's just say that. Right. Yeah. It, it means understanding and appreciating the values and having right. expertise about the show. That's right. So, but I was right. On a deep level. <laughs> okay, that's fine. So that throws off my whole continuity about Discovery. Well, what continuity about Discovery? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, look, it, it's all because all these episodes live in my head from listening to them over and over and over again. It's not anything special. It just is there. I can't help it. I don't blame anyone. Get a life. I do. <laughs> or at least I did. <laughs> now it's gone. And here I am. <laughs> Look, the 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 frame around the original cage footage that Roddenberry came the up envelope. with, the the uh fiction of a court martial against Mr. Spock is glorious. Because not only does it give um a uh, an interesting story around uh, what is Spock doing? Spock is crazy. Spock has gone berserk and stolen the Enterprise and his previous captain and is facing the death penalty for communicating with this forbidden world of Talos IV. Mm. It's amazing because it is riveting and we're just sitting there with the characters watching footage of an old episode and it's great. Can I ask you a question that I've always wondered myself about this episode? Sure. Do you think the Telosians contacted Spock and proposed this idea to him? I think Spock contacted the Telosians. I agree. Yeah, I think, I so think the moment he heard about Pike's situation, he immediately contacted the Telosians against every law of the Federation. Yep. Um, because that's that's who Spock is. Spock will risk anything. Well, oh, how would the Telosians have gotten his phone? I, I always, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I always love the fact that, that you find out that Spock and the Telosians have been colluding this whole time. Yes, and it's so great. It's so great when that's revealed. Yeah. When when uh, Commodore Mendez just sort of disappears. Uh, it's the best. It's it's great. Another great here. sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
when Commodore Mendez disappears <laughs> by the great Malachi Throne. Malachi Throne uh, plays Commodore Mendez, and well, they bring him back because he was the voices of the of the keeper in the original episode in the cage. The, you know, and they pitched his voice down a little bit, but uh, that means that they wouldn't have to hire yet another actor right, yeah. to yeah. <laughs> to voice yeah. it. Um, but, but he's it's, good. He's a badass. He's you know, great. a lot of these guys, uh, you know, in the Federation, these Starbase commanders and Commodores. Yeah, are, usually they're nuts or they're incompetent. Yeah, and this guy is just like, he's a force to be reckoned with. He's, a, yeah. you know, uh, he definitely is. A, uh, he's great. He's just great. because the defendant is your first officer and your personal friend. Percy Rodriguez played a great Commodore. The he first did. season yeah. had Stone. great Starfleet yeah. Yeah. Commodore Stone was great, yeah. Yeah. as opposed to Commodore Stalker, who was lame. Yeah. lame. Stalker was lame. In deadly years. <laughs> he was a weak-ass Commodore. <laughs> he takes Someday command of we'll the ship. we have a whole episode on Commodores. Oh, my the God. Commodores. We the should Commodores. do that. We should do the Commodores, <laughs> and we'll change the theme up and get into a little oh, music. Although, little... I have to tell you, here's another thing about the menagerie that... There was no message sent, Captain. Yeah, the, the weirdest Ms. line Piper. reading, Miss yeah. Piper, in the in the history of Star. I'm like, is she on drugs? Probably. What's up with that? I'm, I don't know. I'm interested in how she was cast for the show. Maybe oh, she was on. I I have my theories. <laughs> Starbase operations. Starbase operations. Starbase operations. Star operations. Star Enterprise, <laughs> prepare to receive new orders. Look, it's it's great. I love it. The Talosians are creepy as heck. They're one of the greatest alien races ever created for, Absolutely. Yes. for amazing, any television. Amazing for television. Dude, that's no bumpy nose and forehead. That is an, an incredible appliance. Uh, they look completely otherworldly. And uh, their whole race is addicted to the internet. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> Again, we said the best Star Trek episodes aren't just an allegory metaphor for their time, but... They are eternal. Look at that. You can apply that to anything. Yeah. Back then it was drugs. Now it's the internet, screen time. It's a, it's a, you're a dig. What you're watching right Video now games, yeah. is what the, killed the Telosian race. Right. They they became useless and they, they couldn't remember how to fix the machines. You know that uh, that they used. It it's they it's didn't so take great. A lesson from their friends, the Krell. The Krell. That's right. <laughs> the Krell just... who had the sense to wipe themselves out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But they left behind a movie that we could rifle and steal ideas from for eternity. And it's a it's a beautiful ending to the episode where we see Pike return to Talos Four, um, restored with his uh, with his previous. In the menagerie, self. it's great. It's funny because it doesn't it doesn't at all have, have any resonance yeah. in the cage when they give because they just leave a fantasy. Yeah. Hunter, yeah, Jeff Hunter, you know, right. he, basically <laughs> right. a, 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 fa- a fast meal of, of Pike. Facsimile, yes. Facsimile. And uh, Jessica Van Puttermaker. Yes. And it was, um, you know, had no resonance at all. It's just they sort of leave and it's like, okay, cool. In the menagerie, it packs it's such so a wall up. It's so beautiful. And, um, and what the Telosians say to uh, Kirk. It's, he has, uh, uh, he has his reality, and you have yours. May you find your way as pleasant. And it's the only time you see twentieth century, twenty third century Earth before the motion picture. That's correct. Yeah. The the view of Mojave from the well because the, the time horse. warp has been broken. The time warp's been broken. <laughs> Our new ships can wait a minute. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's cool to see Earth. Uh, you know, obviously, and um, and 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 you know, look, we 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 talked about this for nine hours in our cage episode many weeks ago. So I, I don't want to you know sort of get off. But on it's a rant so much about, fun. 
Yeah, it's I mean, so much fun. So I'll wrap up a whole bunch of that conversation in two words. Yeah, Green Susan Oliver. Circle. Yes, <laughs> exactly. The most iconic image from all of Star Trek. You know, again, we talked about this. It was the car- title card at the end sure. under a Norway production. Um, uh, um, uh, Susan Oliver is a Green Orion slave girl. I mean, it's such. It's so associated uh, with uh, with everything that, 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 that Star Trek is because she could take on many guises. She was many people and. Mm-hmm. Um, there just, are many coffees. And, and, and uh, there are many coffees. And just, uh, you know, and, 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 and the, and the s- story we talked about, there's a wonderful documentary called The Green Girl, uh, which talks a lot about Susan Oliver. And she was a really remarkable woman, one of the first women to ever direct for television, um, you know, great character actor, and um, unfortunately died way too young of cancer. And it's just a real tragedy. And now, number seven on our top ten Star Trek episodes of all time. Well, this is another original uh, series episode called Journey to Babel, written by uh, D.C. Fontana. And D.C. Fontana was the, sort of the secret weapon of Star Trek. She had written for shows like The Tall Men, but she was also Gene Roddenberry's assistant. And uh, she impressed Gene and ended up becoming the story editor on Star Trek. And... Uh, she understood the show arguably better than anyone. She would call Gene Kuhn out sometimes on his episodes getting uh, redundant. Um, uh, they you know, were relying on certain chestnuts uh, once too often. But she came up with the myth. I mean, what she did for originally called The Way of the Spores, which became this side of paradise, right. uh, where she did more for the Spock character than pretty much any other writer. And uh, she did it again uh, with another episode, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And then with Jerry to Babel, introducing Spock's parents, or his estranged father, Sarek, played brilliantly by Mark Leonard. And, of course, Amanda played equally brilliantly by Miss Jane Wyatt. And uh, it's remarkable because it delivers everything you want from a start. Espionage, act, space action, family drama, uh, you know, Kirk just being a badass. I mean, is there any better scene in Star Trek? There, you know, one of the great scenes, of course, is where Spock is no longer willing to give his father a blood transfusion because Kirk has been injured in a fight with an Andorian and is in sick bay. So uh, uh, Kirk fakes uh, being well right. to go back on the bridge. So the Spock will get out, Spock. Get out, Spock. And he's clearly about to fall down on his right. feet and in agonizing pain. And Spock reluctantly leaves the bridge. And just as Kirk is about to leave, the uh, what ends up being the Orions, but this mysterious ship uh, attacks the Enterprise. And he stays and he looks like he's in excruciating <laughs> yeah. pain. It, it's, you know, that and, and in a less good episode, The Deadly Years, is another one of those great Shatner moments where he strides onto the bridge. And uh, you're not sure if he still, you know, has regained his faculties. Right. And, 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 and uh, you know, it's one of those great moments where the Enterprise is about to be destroyed. And, you know, Kirk, just full of vigor and testosterone, comes on the bridge and takes over. And you know everything's going to be all right. And um, it's just Journey to Babel is so great. And, and the family drama is wonderful. And, you know, sometimes these little tags, the comedic tags work. And sometimes they don't. This is one of the great comedic tags yeah. where uh, you know D. Kelly's McCoy I finally got the last word yeah. <laughs> it's also such great mythology building when it comes to the Vulcans mm-hmm. and, and seeing you know Sarek's relationship with Amanda and, and Sarek's relationship with Spock and you find out that Spock had his Salot you know his teddy bear yeah. with how many inch fangs I don't remember. Was well, it eleven or thirteen? Well, something like that. But but it was really interesting. Ray and, to, and to see that that Vulcans had family strife. This was not something you kind of heard 
vague notions of of that, but to actually see it, it really brought home that even that Spock uh, could have the same kind of problems with his family. And it's it's so we, great. It's so great to see Mark Leonard's performance. Oh, oh Sarek awesome. is an ass. And he really is, but he's he plays it so great. He plays it. He's so he's great. so good. And seeing the dynamic between he and uh, and Nimoy is just so good. And what's great is when he says, "I'd prefer when Kirk says another guy." Uh, yeah, I'd yeah. prefer another guy. And the way he delivers that is just so cutting. Yeah. And it, the thing about you know that particular portrayal of the Vulcans, and it's amazing. I, I think um, perceptions among fans of what the Vulcans are have so ossified mm-hmm. that if you tried to tell that story as that story today, if it had never happened, people would go, well, they're behaving these ways that just aren't logical and aren't like, and you know, here's the thing. It's what was really great about the relationship wasn't, wow, well, now we're going to see what it's like when people who don't have emotions are in relationships together. No, what we're going to see is when you have people who have deep emotions, but have become but emotionally unavailable. It. Yes. And it's just, it's terrific. And, I cannot say enough good things about Mark Leonard or Sarek, who became one of the great characters in Star Trek. He comes back not just in the movies, in the original series movies. He even comes back, you know, like twice in like, and, you know, uh, regardless of whether you think the various actors who played him um, in the J.J. reboot, uh, in Discovery, he's somebody that Star Trek goes to again and again. But when he comes back in The Next Generation, when Mark Leonard comes back as in the next generation, Sarek, it's just... With Alzheimer's. With Alzheimer's. It's just, yeah. it's wrenching. Yeah. It's wrenching. He's so great. He's a character and, you care yeah. about so much. Yeah, and he just, and he, from the first moment, it's, you know, what's the thing somebody, uh, was it Scott Mance who said that um, that Kirk was born fully formed? Yes, um, and, he said it and, a lot. Yeah, and, and, and Sarek is born fully formed. Yeah. Like, from the first moment that you meet him, you know who he is. And even though he's wearing basically the same makeup, completely different character than the Romulan commander from Balance of Terror. Right. Another thing, the casting, you really believe Spock is the son of Sarge. Yes, you You, do. They look alike. I mean, it's just uncanny. Okay, can we also talk about, you speak, since you mentioned casting, Reggie Nalder is the Andorian. I mean, the only time I ever seen him was in the Manchurian Candidate. Sure. But there's something so unworldly, otherworldly about him. What great casting. I I don't know what his ethnicity was. I don't know much about him. I just know, oh my God, was he great. And the Andorians weren't in any other episodes of uh, before that, were not they? Before no, that. Not, not before be, that. No, before that. Later. Yeah, but not. They were in, in and so the Endorians were another amazing addition to canon. And the Tellarites and the right. Tellarites who were great, and that's another fabulous performance and a great uh, prosthetic as well. But the Endorians were a beautifully realized alien race, uh, you know, portrayed phenomenally well. And again, it's like and his on. voice, Reggie Nalder's voice. His accent. Yeah, it's very yeah. Eastern European. It's very, and you know, he he was of course the 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 vampire in, in Toby Hooper's Salem's Lot oh, TV yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but there was something about his performance, like you said, it's so. And the the, the great is it Wa Chang who did the did mm-hmm. he design the the antenna? And I love the costumes. Yeah, you know that the Andorian costumes were cool. Well, and before you had the cantina scene in Star, this was the cantina right. scene right. in Star Wars. You had this. You know, reception with all these different alien delegates, and you know, again, television in 1967 was awesome with cool, weird food that they were eating. Yeah, yeah, and colorful shapes and sizes. 
yeah. and the little yeah the little dwarf ones yeah. and you know and and uh, it was uh, it was phenomenal and and again with the endurance what they're on screen five ten minutes tops and yet they gave birth to something that has endured you know ever since because uh, Enterprise mined Andorian lore very well yeah. I will say. Um, and, uh, you know, they've, they've come back and they've been great characters in other shows. And, uh, I, you know, I remember I, this may be apocryphal, but there's a story that on Next Generation, Rick Berman famously said, no antenna. There will never be Andorians on the show. No antenna. Um, but, you know, eventually that moratorium went away and the Andorians were great. And they, they do show up in like Star Trek four. They show up in the third season TNG episode, um, uh, the offspring, right? Because... Lol is is given the choice to become, you know, a person, right. uh, one of whatever you very can pick your creature. There, very yeah. brief, but you still see. It was I think a nice there's nod. actually a couple in uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture too. Yes, there are. And if not, there will be again when you work on the director's edition high def, right? A <laughs> 4K version. <laughs> yeah. uh, which, so now, should we continue? I think with we the should, count up. I think we should continue with the count up. Absolutely, that was number seven, Journey to Babel. Fantastic. Uh, uh, original series episode and we're, we're running out of slots so will your favorite episode be represented in the top 50 list continue listening and find out and now number 6 at 0800 hours station time the Romulan Empire formally declared war against the Dominion they've already struck 15 bases along the Cardassian border so this is a huge victory for the good guys. This may even be the turning point of the entire war. There is even a welcome to the fight party tonight in the ward room. So, I lied. I cheated. I bribed men to cover the crimes of other men. accessory to murder. But the most damning thing of all, I think I can live with it. And if I had to do it all over again, I would. Garrick was right about one thing. A guilty conscience is a small price to pay for the safety of the Alpha Quadrant, so I will learn to live with it. Because I can live with it. I can live with it. Computer, erase that entire personal log. Number six, Commander S- Captain Cisco. at this point, dances with the devil in the pale moon. <laughs> um, That's funny. This episode is in, in many ways a, it's a kind of a watershed for Star Trek. Because this is the first time that we really see a starship captain, at least since Kirk, wrestling with a truly difficult 
decision where the the moral outcome is not absolute, but the practical outcome is absolutely necessary. And he doesn't make the decision that lets us feel good about it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't get rescued by the machinations of the plot. He simply has to make a choice. And the premise of the episode is we are now deep into the Dominion War. The Dominion is streaming across the Alpha Quadrant. They have conquered Beta Z. Um, The truth is the Federation is losing. And what Cisco understands is that really their only hope of beginning to drive the Dominion back is to bring the Romulans into the war, a conclusion that he reaches uh, with a simple tailor named Garrick. Um, Garrick and Sisko conspire to create a recording that suggests uh, that the Dominion plans to invade Romulus, and they conspire then to give that recording to the Romulans. The problem is that the Romulans figure out that the recording is a fake. And as the Romulan senator leaves, we learn that his ship uh, is destroyed. It explodes. Cisco realizes what must have happened, that somehow Garrick must have destroyed the ship. And Garrick admits that's exactly what he did. And that when people find that recording, they'll see that the imperfections in that recording must have been the product of the destruction of the ship. They will believe it, and the Romulans will enter the war. And he gives one of the best speeches uh, in, in the history of Star Trek, to my mind. And he tells Captain Sisko, all it will cost you is the life of one Romulan senator, one criminal, who he also killed, and the conscience of one Starfleet captain. Mm. And that sounds like a bargain. I get chills just hearing you say that. <laughs> right? Isn't it great? And the end of this episode is Sisko, right? Because you go off of that, and that's, then it's Sisko, and he's recording his log. And he's, we're learning from it that the Romulans have now entered the war and that he has let all of these things go, that he's essentially allowed the cover-up um, to go without being challenged, um, that he's essentially taken Garrick's advice and done a deal with the devil. And his last lines are, I can live with it. I can live with it. And it is such a great moment. Avery Brooks is so spot on. He is so awesome. He is just, he is feral through so much of this episode um, it is, it's, you're just on the edge of your seat watching this and you would just, you just pray, you pray that maybe somehow, cause it's Star Trek, something will happen and it'll be okay. And it's not okay. But you also get like, they so establish the stakes and you so get at this point, how necessary it is that you forgive him and you're with him and you become complicit with him when he erases that law. Oh, it's, you know, another thing about this episode, I, I've gone back and forth about, how people say, well, Deep Space Nine is a, is, a, is a complete betrayal of Roddenberry's idea of a utopian future for mankind. And I'm like, it's really not, because it's all about how do people, how do products of a utopian civilization deal with an external force that will destroy that utopian civilization? Right. How do you as good people manage to keep your soul while still defending the Federation from the onslaught of the Dominion forces or the Breen or the Cardassians? And it really does a great job of even in a situation like this that is very morally questionable, it is the ultimate example of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. That's right. And and that's 
why Cisco can live with it. That's right. Because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Well, it cuts it's interesting. Ways. A lot of the great Star Trek episodes are influenced by real-life events. I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems to me it was very much influenced by those great stories of how the Allies convinced the Germans about where we were going to land you know, on the D-Day invasion and how they put false plans on a corpse. And uh, you know, there the, was a great movie, The Man That Never Was, and right. stuff. And, and, and to me, this evokes that kind of storytelling. It has heft... It, it, it has real, you know, huge stakes writ large. Uh, it, it's wonderful and, and great stakes for Cisco. You know, in terms of you're going to have to do pretty horrible things to win this war. I think for those of us who may have criticized the Klingon war arc and Discovery, you, it's for reasons like this because it. It, it, there was a simplicity, I think, to its resolution that with Deep Space Nine, there was nothing simple about this war, yeah. you know, and there were casualties. And some of those casualties were our sense of morals and, and our ethics and, you know, what we had to compromise these values to do what ultimately was right. right. And that's such a fascinating, uh, uh, fertile ground um, to mine. And I remember watching it for the first time and just thinking, oh, my God, this is extraordinary. And um, it's interesting because Ira Bear says he always gets really pissed off. Ira Bear was, of course, the executive producer and showrunner for Deep Space Nine. When people say, oh, I love Deep Space Nine. Oh, what was your favorite episode? Tri- Trials and Tribulations. And he always goes like this. because yeah, He does this a lot. Because, right? because that was their popcorn show. Right. You know, yeah. they're proud of it. They stand by it. But that wasn't the show. It was more the original show than it was there. So um, as much as I love Trials and Tribulations, I- I'm, I'm so happy to see in the pale moonlight above that because in, in the pale moonlight, in many ways, is the epitome of Deep Space Nine. You know, whereas Trials and Tribulations is just a fabulous, fun romp. Yep. Which brings us to number five. Speaking of romp, number five, the the second season TOS opener, uh, a mock time that sports a piece of music that probably everybody in the world can recite, even though they might not even know what it's from. Right. Uh, this was an incredible. Used so well in the Cable Guy. Yes, that's right. Uh, but what was amazing about this this episode is it took us to Vulcan for the very first time, and we'd never seen Vulcan. We'd heard about Vulcan, and it really delves into Vulcan society, and it's very different than what you might have thought of if you if you were just watching TOS. When it was first on and you hear about the Vulcans, you, you, I would imagine a sort of a cold, technologically advanced society, not unlike how Krypton was portrayed in, in Superman the movie. That's what I would have thought Vulcan might have been, something along those lines. But instead, we see this sort of ancient, feudal, Japanese, Middle Eastern, I mean, fight to the death, personal combat, fighting over a woman. It seemed like such a throwback to a society that might have existed Thousands of years ago in Earth's past. It's the past. pressure valve that allows this society to exist. Absolutely. I mean, you arranged marriages and you can't express love. And you've got a conniving woman who will stop at nothing to get what she wants. And, and, and still, I will have Stan. Yes. Yeah. And you, you, it, it is just a, a very unique look at an alien culture that was very unexpected at the time. And Suryolovsky plays Tapau, this Vulcan diplomat who has barely any words in the episode, but she's you know why she's Tapau. Well I that's mean, all a Vulcan in one big package. It, well, and you know, know, it was and you realize Vulcan is a matriarchal culture because all we had really met was um you know, Amanda was human, but you look at these Vulcans whether well, we hadn't met her yet. Right. Yeah. Oh that's right. And and I mean Tapau is like 
Celia is unbelievable. Unbelievable. You don't want to mess with Celia Lovsky. Spock never mentioned that his parents were this important. <laughs> he never mentioned his parents, period. Uh, well, it's interesting. Uh, his, his parents brother. don't show or up. his yeah. adopted <laughs> sister. <laughs> you know, oh, he didn't oh. mention a lot of things. Oh. Yeah. But you, you don't meet his parents yet because they're presumably on Earth. Right, right. Sorry, because you're Vulcan ambassador. Yeah. But this is our first look, and, and we learn something very vital about the Vulcan life cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learn about Ponfar and, and the, the need to spawn, to come back every seven years. And like the... Like the Fish flying of eel birds of Regulus Five. It's like when you're on the keto diet, and every few weeks you need to refeed the carbs. <laughs> no, and it also it also is a great example of 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 the relationship that Kirk. It's it's such it's a great so good. Kirk yeah. Spock uh, story and McCoy and and there's Chapel. Yeah, I never mean, ate Vulcan plumique soup again. Yeah, I mean Kirk is willing to defy all of Starfleet to help his friend. So great! It's the yeah. you know it's the only teaser where we see soup flying across the screen in the in the beginning. Well, and then you also have the um, into the hallway no less. I, I love yeah I love soup. that runner between Sulu and Chekhov. About, oh yeah, you know first we... we're bound for Altair, then we're going to Vulcan. Now we're going to Altair again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's so fun. It's exactly what you think these guys when nothing exciting is yeah. going on in the ship they'd be bored out of their minds yeah. right because you know between episodes. So it's probably not the most exciting thing, right? So they're just like, you know, it's so funny. And, um, you know, and then, again, that score, that harpsichord, so, that, oh, you know, yeah. that Vulcan theme, uh, it's just so uh, heartbreaking. Uh-huh. And then, you know, the pride that McCoy takes at being asked to stand alongside yeah. uh, Spock. And it goes to show you, they could hate each other and fight and have these, but it was like he was his brother. It's like, you know, right. families argue and fight, and no matter how he treated McCoy, after that, Spock could say anything, but you knew he loved McCoy. You know, it's just such a beautiful moment. And in the elevator, a lot of great lines in elevators. It's like in Star Trek Two. We will. You know, it's like it is. It is obviously obvious. You have surmised my problem, Doctor. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's great. There's great you know, world building in the Vulcan words. Like, longer than four years. There's Kunat Khalifi yeah. and yeah. Kroika. Yeah. You know, and the Anurpa and, and the Anurpa. Anurpa. Yeah, yeah, I mean the weapons. It's yeah. just oh, it's so great. And uh, also, it took me forever yeah. to figure out how the hell. To, like when I was a kid, the thing that mystified me about this episode was how to pronounce the title i was like is it amok time amok time like what is this i i i, I just didn't know it was a mystery I bet you, did you say who mourns for adonis when you're yes kid? yeah me too but not like who mourns for adonais yeah. <laughs> you know i have to say rob you mentioned or E-morg or the, the the uh distinctive the technological distinctiveness of the uh the score and uh, i remember very vividly you, you know i'm sure you will too back when we were doing sci-fi universe magazine for larry flint many years ago uh, we put on a wonderful charity event in Las Vegas. Um, it was at Sci-Fi the Kids MGM Day. Grand Sci-Fi Kids Day, uh, where the, all the money we raised went to I Have a Dream Foundation. And uh, when we went and we're, were prepping, doing the Tech Scout, um, uh, we there was one. It was a little arena, and there were these long sticks with like these little <laughs> things on the end. And we changed whatever they were calling it. It was like, you know, battle, you know, battle, battle, you know, the, the, you know, where we changed it to the amok time. We branded it as amok time. And then we had them pipe in the music. Yes. So whenever you would go, it would be like, da, 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 and it was the greatest. And we just told, we said, Sci Fi Kids Day. We got to yes. brand this as the amok time there, battle. For people arena. that don't know, there used to be in Las Vegas behind the MGM Grand, there was an amusement park. Right. It's no longer there. But, no. but that's Long what gone. we made use of when my. 
I had met my biological mother. I was adopted and and met her for the first time when I was 29. It turns out she's director of production at the MGM Grand. We immediately put her. Yes, we were like, let's put on an event there. <laughs> Mom, I haven't seen you in 29 years. And uh... by the way, <laughs> but that was a great. That was a great. Great. It was a great event. My dad flew in for it. Uh, we remember, and then we ran into. <laughs> On the bridge between New York, New Richard York, Richard Biggs, and we ran to Richard Biggs from Battle of Five. We said, "Hey, we're putting on this charity event." Uh, at the and we were Grand. scared. It was Lisa Reed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she yeah. was already producing a TV show that we were on. She's like, "Oh no, no, I'll take care of it." She yeah, yeah, and and, and he came. He we, came. And he came. It was he was great. We had great people come down for yeah. that event. We had thousands of people. Kristen Cloak. Yeah, right. right. Glenn Morgan, and Glenn we Morgan. had um, uh, uh, Penn Densham, who was promoting the new Outer Limits. MGM yep. was very supportive because yeah. it was an MGM property. Right. That was a great look. That was a great. That was a great event. That was a great event. We had so much fun, and we raised a lot of money for charity, and it was it was a, it was a good thing. It was. But back to the Kunut Kalifi. Well, that's what <laughs> we're talking about. <laughs> the hazelnut coffee. He, uh, Spock described it as marriage and challenge, and I think. Nothing Those. goes better together than the words marriage and challenge. <laughs> Aren't they the same? <laughs> my wife would say they're the same word, especially when she catches oh me God. watching Trials and Tribulations with my friends. <laughs> it's the spilling the beer on the floor that that's yeah. what got on, not on his on head. the sofa. <laughs> and it was rolling off. On yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It'll be worse when your kids are doing it. Oh, my God. Um, so. On to number four. Number four, Rob. Oh, that's Ashley's. No, no, no. no Rob. We we talked oh, about yes, this we before we started. Number four. That's right. I was. I, I, that's One day I we'll actually sound meeting. like we know what we're doing on the show. Okay. Uh, number four is actually mirror, mirror. You're a man of integrity in both universes, Mr. Spock. You must return to your universe. I must have my captain back. I shall operate the transporter. You have two minutes and ten seconds. For that time, I have something to say. How long before the Hulk and prediction of galactic revolt is realized? Approximately two hundred and forty years. The inevitable outcome. The Empire shall be overthrown, of course. The logic of waste, Mr. Spark. The waste of lives, potential, resources, time. I submit to you that your empire is illogical because it cannot endure. I submit that you are illogical to be a willing part of it. You have one minute and 23 seconds. If change is inevitable, predictable, beneficial, doesn't logic demand that you be a part of it? One man cannot summon the future. But one man can change the present. Be the captain of this enterprise, Mr. Spock. Find a logical reason for sparing the Hawkins and make it stick. Push till it gives. You can defend yourself better than any man in the fleet. Captain, get in the chamber! What about it, Spock? A man must also have the power. In my cabin is a device that will make you invincible. What will it be? Past or future? Tyranny or freedom? It's up to you. It is time. In every revolution, there's one man with a vision. Captain Kirk, I shall consider it. Second season episode written by Jerome Bixby uh, that has given has given us so much, uh, <laughs> some good, some not so good. But one of the great things about Mirror Mirror is, of course, the very famous episode where the the Enterprise. Another really interesting teaser, yeah, 
where where the uh, the Enterprise crew has gone to the the, the Halkin Council, right. uh, which is an uh, an alien planet the and planet of Halka, the planet of Halka, <laughs> like from Sergeant Halka yeah. from Stripes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're they're meeting with the the the, the Halkin Council, and the Halkins have dilithium that, of course, the Federation needs to power their starships, and the Halkins actually say, "Look, you know, you you have you could certainly take this from us by force." And Kirk famously says, but we won't. Consider that. Consider that. And as they're beaming up to the Enterprise, the Enterprise is going through an ion storm and a tear in the fabric. The The fabric of of space-time is open. And the the Enterprise landing party, which consists of uh, 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 Kirk, Uhura, McCoy, and Scotty, beam up to an alternate Enterprise, the ISS Enterprise, the Imperial Spaceship Enterprise or Starship Enterprise, which really isn't canon. I guess it is now. But at the time, we just, hey. It's just the alternate. Yeah, It's the alternate universe. It's the the dark, what is the piece of music? Dark ship or something? Um, Where everybody's evil. Like, history is different. Uh, but the same. It's kind of the same, but everyone has they're an evil, evil counterpart. They're not They're just all pirates. Yes, they're all... They're, yes, they're all pirates, and you ascend to the captaincy of a ship through assassination. Right. Uh, prisoners are tortured. Uh, McCoy, the, the apparently the, the evil McCoy, bets on the pain threshold of his, of his, <laughs> his patients. Yeah. Uh, and the captain has a captain's woman, I guess, that's either assigned to him somehow, becomes his. It's possessory of some kind. And the Enterprise crew, our crew, has to figure out how to get back to our our universe while their evil counterparts are locked away on the brig because apparently Spock figured it out right away and tossed them in the brig. And it is it's probably my favorite episode of the original series, only because it's every every moment is just a great character moment and it has great interplay and great dialogue between between the characters and it. It's so much fun watching our characters, as Spock later says. It's easier for you as civilized men to behave as barbarians as it, than it is for barbarians to behave as civilized men. And it is so much fun. And there's the great scene when Ahura and Sulu are kind of going mano-y-mano as she has to she has to create a distraction so Sulu doesn't know how the landing party is trying to beam off the ship. Ugh, I love this episode. One little uh, fun trivia bit is that the head of the uh, Halkin Council is played by Vic Perrin, who uh, you you will recognize his voice if you um, watch the episode with the Metrons. He is the voice of the Metrons, and he was also the voice of the Outer Limits. Yeah. He he did the opening, the famous opening to the Outer Limits. And he, you can so much tell. You Absolutely. can take the horizontal and the vertical yeah. by force, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we won't. Consider that. And it's just the interplay between the mirror Spock. Spock, of course, famously has a goatee. And Kirk. Just that kind of dialogue. Again, the, you see that even though they're pirates, there's a mutual respect mm-hmm. between them. They they clearly like each other. I mean, hearing Spock say, you know, our missions have been both successful and profitable. I mean, hearing so Spock good. say profitable, it's just, oh, this episode is, it, it, it to me, it, it was like getting the best when your mom made whatever your favorite dinner was. Getting Mirror Mirror was always like, this is just the most <laughs> delicious <laughs> Go ahead. Was just that you know, it's it is an idea and a place that certainly the the franchise uh, revisits multiple times. I mean, it's interesting. The Next Generation never did it. Deep Space Nine did it a few times, and all of those episodes I thought were really super cool and super fun. Although we didn't put any of them into the top fifty, and here's uh, why I think why is because look, 
Deep Space Nine, those characters were already living in this world yeah. that was so screwed up. They were all so deeply interesting that they right. didn't suddenly become interesting when they got to let their id hang out. Right. So, Except for Major Kira. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, she got super interesting. Uh, but, you know, in the other shows, like, you go to, to Enterprise, well, yeah, of, of course that's going to be super entertaining because they're not all – Bermond up, you know, <laughs> when they're, they're in, in the mirror up. universe. You've just, um, you've just invented a new verb. Thank you. They're Bermond. <laughs> Trichology. And it's funny because, you know, we've sort of had this renaissance of how we feel about, you know, Rick Berman, all these things. He was a great steward of the, the franchise and he kept it going and he made, you know, uh, a, a lot of really great decisions that kept the franchise alive uh, and a lot of great things happened on it. But um, th- it's just fascinating to me. How the mirror universe, in some cases, became the excuse for good storytelling. Um, it, it just it's it shouldn't work like that. You mean the excuse for bad storytelling, right? Or the excuse for yeah. bad storytelling? Yes, but but uh, it's I don't know. It, or, yes, exactly. Um, it's like <laughs> a crutch. Out, like, yes, a crutch. it can become like a crutch, uh, and it's just it's like but it's a such nightmare. a great idea. I mean. <laughs> And also, it gives us a reason to not keep kicking the Enterprise out of the competition in Starship SmackDown. Right. Because we can always go to the Mirror Universe versions of it. I also think that the storylines have been uh, dumbed down. Every time we revisit the Mirror Universe, it kind of becomes less intelligent. Mirror Mirror is a very smart, Mm -hmm. smart episode, especially in the way that they examine the, the alternate versions of the characters that we know. Right. And even in the one glimpse you get of, of, of the barbarian, the mirror Kirk in our universe. Right. Shatner Unleashed. You know, yeah. Shatner Unleashed. <laughs> Shatner Unleashed. And it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you want credits, I can get them to you. You don't want to come out of your own, I can swing that too. You know, it's just... <laughs> Where's it's my personal guy? Yeah, it's so good. And, and the, the whole idea of, of how Vulcans are really scary. Yeah. You know, Spock's operatives, they'll, they'll avenge his and death. some of them are, are Vulcans. Vulcans. I mean, yeah. and there, there's so many great – and Chekhov as this sadomasochistic, murderous thug of, a, of, a, of an officer. Yeah. You know, and and uh, so you'll die, Captain. We'll move. On, I'll move up in rank. You know, it's just it's so good. But they're all smart and dangerous and scary. Everyone's dangerous. Yeah, everyone. There's dangerous. never a moment where you feel on that ship that they're safe. Right. No. No. Yeah. And there's also uh, one last thing to mention: the the relationship that Kirk has. Suddenly, he's got the captain's woman played by Barbara Luna, Luna, the great Luna. She's so great. She's so sexy, and she shows and resourceful. And resourceful, and she yeah. shows Kirk the Tantalus field. Kirk is right. the evil Kirk has pillaged this device, the the Tantalus field, the Tantalus device, and can make anyone disappear that he wants. And when when our Kirk is tender to her and shows her real emotion, something she's never felt before, she's never felt that tenderness. Right. She becomes vulnerable, but at the same time, she's still she's still very much feminine, but also a ruthless schemer that will never allow herself. To lose her status, yeah. you know, and, and Kirk's like, "Look, man, uh, you can do anything you want to do. I mean, I I believe in you. I do. That's what he says. He grabs her by the wrist and says, "You can do it. You can. You. I I believe in you. You know, and gives her that belief in herself that she probably hasn't had. Well, and then, of course, you know, the inspires speech Spock. Spock. The speech is Spock. Another one of the great Shatner. Kirk My favorite speeches. Kirk speech ever. You know, and I remember uh, it always bothered me at Free Enterprise. We had that great line where he's the Shatner speech works every time, and Bill made us change it to the Kirk speech. This is a Shatner speech. You know, these yeah. are Shatner speeches. He gives it, the words are powerful, but he 
imbues them with their true curiosity. The yes. logic of waste. Let's just pause. I submit, I submit to, you. to you that your empire is illogical and that you are illogical to be a willing part of it. Yeah, it's really good. In every revolution. There's one man with a vision. Be the captain of this enterprise. It's, it's, Find it's, a reason for spreading the Hawkins and make it stick. It's so one great. One must also have the power. That one powerful <laughs> speech can change a civilization. And we've seen it, whether it be Martin Luther King, JFK. These are people who had the gifts of oratory, where their, their words really made a difference. And, you know, you see it with Kirk. I mean, he changed the Terran Empire, presumably. Unfortunately, Deep Space Nine, uh, I, one of the reasons I don't love those episodes is they went the wrong direction. They went the wrong direction, you know. And, and uh, but... Um, uh, but it's it's great. Uh, Rocky Four brought down <laughs> the Soviet on. Union. <laughs> yeah. By the way, so, I want to give a shout out to author David Mack, who wrote a, a duology, two Mirror Universe novels that are fantastic. And they, they should be, if, if anyone's Required decided, reading in the academy? Required reading for anyone who wanted to do a Mirror Universe, say a new, new Star Trek series with the Mirror Universe in it, they should have read those two books. Well, I want to give saying. a shout out to author Rafe Needleman. <laughs> I bet it's time for a Star Mirror, Trek Mirror. trivia bite. Okay. Um, bite. Bite. Okay. What is the correct response, Rob, oh, to Queens to Queens level three? Queen to Kings level two. Zero, zero, zero. Destruct. No. Zero. Wait. No. It's not? It's Queen to Kings level one. Oh. Really? Okay. I didn't even, I, I didn't even look okay. at the answer key. I thought I Rob would know Scotty that. wouldn't have beamed you up. You wouldn't have beamed me up. Queen oh. to Kings level one. Okay. Maybe he's a changeling. Uh, I want to <laughs> say one last thing I'm about- I'm not doing good with What Rafe. does it mean, exact changeling? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say one last thing. You know, I love doppelganger episodes. You know, I just do. I mean, whether it's in the Arrowverse where they had, uh, you know, Crisis on Earth X and, you know, it's the Nazis, you know. and But, you know, I particularly loved on Buffy when they did Doppel- Doppelganger Land and The Wish, you know, where, where, you know, we have the evil versions of, you know, of Willow and stuff like that. They're all great. But Mirror Mirror to me is the ultimate doppelganger episode, you know, and it's sort of a staple of a lot of genre now where it's like the mirror or the alternate universe. But this is the benchmark. This is this is as good as it gets. And it's just such a great episode. It's the perfect number four on our list. And that brings us to the perfect number three on our list where we go from alternate universes to alternate timelines. Aboard uh, yesterday's Enterprise. Not and there is tomorrow's. a difference. And there is a difference. Um, basically, Star Trek The Next Generation does the final countdown. Um, right. but, <laughs> but, uh, I never thought of that either. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but does it exactly right. But they, they stick the landing, which the final countdown no, really didn't do. Um, basically, the premise of this episode. Is that, your sh- is that your movie for time travel day tomorrow? No. On the 4.30 but movie? But thank you for reminding me. Son but no, a... it's not. It no. is not. Right. You, you will, you will you not said... believe I'm not going to believe it. You won't believe it. Okay. It's, and it's not that. That it's is not the final too countdown. close to Get like back being to Star in Trek. The, right, Star Trek. <laughs> Yesterday's Enterprise. So, the, the Enterprise D um, discovers a ship coming through a rift in space, which they usually do. And it is the USS Enterprise C. Um, lost, uh, basically, like, in, I don't know if it, in the original timeline, if they had been lost, like, in battle at Narendra 3. Um, and uh, defending a Klingon outpost against the Romulans. Um, But here's the kicker. When the Enterprise C comes through, suddenly we go from the Enterprise crew that we know um, to a different universe where we've been at war with the Klingons for like the last, what, 20 years? And we learn that the war has not been going very well for the Federation. Kids, do you sense a theme? Wars do not go very well for the Federation. Um, 
The captain of the Enterprise C, Captain Rachel Garrett, the only female captain of the USS Enterprise that we have yet encountered, mm-hmm. um, says, okay, well, we're here now. You need ships. You're losing. Um, we can refit the sea, and we can join the fight, right? And the crew is a little bit divided, but it's Data who points out, you know, right now, the Enterprise C might not make much of a difference in the fight against the Klingons, but 20 years ago, 20 years ago, one ship sacrificing itself to save the Klingons against a Romulan attack could change history. And so then it turns into a race, a race to repair the Enterprise C um, and send her back through the rift uh, to save the Klingons and save the Federation. And at the heart of it is this great story about Tasha Yar, who is alive in this timeline, her relationship with Lieutenant Castillo, who is the first, well, he's the acting first officer, really, of the Enterprise C. And uh, once Captain Garrett is killed in battle, he essentially assumes command. And by the way, when he sits in that chair, he totally does a Shatner. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like he does this number? So uh, it's about, you know, when you get to the, the decision to go back what makes it personal for the Enterprise crew, for the crew of the D, is Tasha Yar. Um, and her understanding through Guinan that in this other timeline that she just dies, and she dies a meaningless death. And it redeems you know, the fact that she was essentially murdered by an oil star. I, I just wrote that in my notes. <laughs> I said, don't forget to talk about this episode, Redeem Skin of Evil. So, right? Okay, I, I have nothing to say there. And, and it, makes a, it makes a thing of that. It's like, so here's her chance to die a, a, a death that has meaning. And so it has this emotional punch at the end. It's not just, okay, now they're going off and they're going to do some stuff. And, wow, it's, we really like these guest stars. No, no, we love these guest stars. And we're invested because it feels like a part of us has gone with them. And we finally got, you know, the, the death for Yar that, that we felt that she deserved and she didn't. Or did, or did we? she? <laughs> but if you look at it in outside of that context, right. just in its own context, I remember at, at this point in watching Star Trek, um, I, you know, look, I was still a Star Trek fan. I was what you call at that point still a test pattern Trekkie. You could just like throw up a Federation yeah. symbol and I'd watch it yeah. for an hour. Um, <laughs> but this was the episode like I somehow managed to miss it. I thought the third season was going pretty well, you know, better than the, the second. There were episodes I really dug. And one of my friends had seen it. I hadn't yet. He said, dude, you have to see this. This episode is legitimately great. This show is great now. You have to watch. So the bar was set high, and it exceeded my wildest expectations, and it still holds up. It is still wonderful. It is still one of the high watermarks for Star Trek, period. And what I love, you know, about that episode is, um, you know, it's a great episode, but it's sort of the Jaws analogy, how, you know, Steven Spielberg had the most miserable time of his life making Jaws, you know, went over schedule, over budget. You know, he spent a year, you know, uh, you know, just uh, it was a disaster in every respect until it came out where it's like one of the great movies of all time. Brilliant. You know, the movie he had a great time on was Hook, you know, which has a lot. And yesterday's <laughs> Enterprise was a disaster. You know, they, they were running out of scripts. Third season was a mess. They had this episode that they had to get in shape, like, right around Thanksgiving. You know, they literally, you know, there's a quote in the writer's room, gangbanged it, where you get a bunch of writers to, you know, all take a piece of it. It was destined to be a disaster. And it became a classic. It became a classic. It's one, obviously one of the greats. It's number three on our list. And it's a remarkable show. But out of that crucible, you know, of hard work, and, and it just goes to show this business, you never can tell. This thing was going down the toilet. This thing was going to be the Spock's brain of um, of, uh, of of TNG, and and 
instead it becomes you know one of its true uh, true classics and uh it's just it's just amazing and it's just a wonderful wonderful episode and uh the lighting the production design oh. there's an edginess to it uh it's it's, it's beautifully directed it just to the ambassador class enterprise also C. talk about talk about a teaser that when you mentioned how the the enterprise C comes through the rift and the time shift happens there's that great moment where Picard turns around and and it's on it's that weird effect on his face and he yeah. turns around and and, and is revealed. Yes, that was a te- you're like yeah it was what? what's going yeah. on and what I love there's a, there's a moment in this episode between Guinan and Picard. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite Patrick Stewart moments when it, it, we're in the alternate timeline and and Guinan is trying to convince him. I know that this this timeline is wrong and and Picard's like you got to give me something more. Than that, she's trying to convince him, and he gets angry, yeah. and he says, "Not good enough, damn it! Not good enough!" and slams his fist on the table. And you've never seen him lose it. Yeah. You know, he's always so composed because this is a warrior captain now, and he's been fighting for a very long time. And and you see that ultimately, what Guinan says goes. And you there, and then she's got the great moment with Tasha Yar and the wonderful stuff with Castillo and. And Yar, the relationship that's developing between them, this episode works so wonderfully well because of the characters. Again, at Star Trek's core, it's all about the character moments. Well, and it also, I think, also proves the biggest star of Star Trek is not Picard, it's not Worf, it's not Data, it's not even Kirk or Spock. It's, it's the Enterprise. Yes, for sure. It's the Enterprise. The Enterprise is the biggest star in Star Trek. And why you can argue that some of the subsequent shows don't work as well because it's been too long since we've seen the Enterprise. You know? And... and uh, the you know the, the, wh- wh- how do they describe the Enterprise? Uh, you know, so many times the love letters that Kirk and, and has, you know people have have said the Enterprise, and and uh, even Star Trek Four, you feel it's lost. It's yes, a whole you movie, you know, with the Klingon bird of prey. It's just not the same without the Enterprise. Yeah, you throw them a bone at the end, but uh, it's a terrible scene. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Again, the mythology though. You're mentioning that the Enterprise C, the Ambassador class, they skipped B, you know, and it was such a, a revelation to see they they built a new model. And and when it comes through, it looked like a logical progression that the Galaxy class, it added to the Star Trek mythology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it did so in grand fashion. There's that great visual effect shot when the Enterprise-C comes through the rift and it, mm-hmm. the camera pan, pans over. And it's just, you know, for a... Yeah. You effects junkie her. like myself. I mean, she's the Enterprise. She is the Enterprise, and it's a new Enterprise. And it's like, oh, you know, it gave you that. <laughs> no bloody A B, but it was the same. All I ask for is a star. Is a tall ship, tall ship, ship and a star to steer by, man. Uh, so uh, great, great choice for number three, the next generation. Yesterday's Enterprise. We're we're getting down to it. We're 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 uh, we're in Eleanor Rigby territory. Um, <laughs> Darren Doctorman, number two. Number two, Bones. Did you ever hear of a doomsday machine? I have. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's the, that's our number two from uh, TOS second season, the Doomsday Machine. Uh, look, this is one of the best uh, action-packed, character-driven episodes ever made. It's one of my favorites, not only because of. The uh, amazing acting by Shatner and uh, guest star uh, William Wyndham. Um, but it has pretty much my favorite alien vessel, robot, whatever it is, the Doomsday Machine itself. It looks completely alien and unlike anything we've ever seen before. 
and it is scary and you know it has it has its own theme music you know years before jaws and it's it's glorious uh you know i uh, uh did my own version of this episode and i replaced the uh, visual effects back in the early uh, aughts and um it's always been a favorite of mine and I always wanted to see it, you know, at its most pristine and uh, and lovingly uh, taken care well, to of. To that, and I would implore the audience if you've never seen the episode or you're watching it, watch it with the original effects. Do Absolutely. not watch the, you know, with all due respect to everyone who worked really hard on the new remastered versions, you, you know, who were limited by time and money and politics. You need to watch the original version. Yeah, that miniature, that that beautiful miniature that was built. Um, you know, apparently it, in just a couple days. It's it's <laughs> it's just. I mean, that's that's what Doomsday Machine is. It's that's magical. What... And look, the story is so great. the The character of uh, Commodore Decker, uh, played by William Wyndham. We love our Commodores. He's he's so good. He gives a you know arguably um, more uh, scenery chewing uh, than. Shatner ever did. There was, but he, not anymore. He's they say so there's good. no devil, Jim. He's there so is. good. He I has, saw it. Yeah. There is no third hell. planet. So Don't you good. think I know that? Oh my there God. was, but, but not anymore. As, as much as we look at that and laugh because it is over the top, it's laugh. real. Yeah. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Yeah, it totally. is completely real. His whole he crew is, is gone. His are, ship is gone. We are witnessing a nervous breakdown. And... <laughs> Right now, uh, here you know, at the table. Again, <laughs> this episode is probably the greatest example of what a bottle episode for any mm, television right. show mm-hmm. can be. The, the whole thing is sat, uh, shot on the standing sets, and yeah. they've redressed them. They've, they've had debris and debris and detritus all over the hallways when they need to show the constellation. But what, what was so amazing, again, because I saw the original series as a kid, one of the things that always, you know, I rub my hands together, when you saw the wrecked, Constitution class, the same class of ship as the Enterprise, wrecked in space and and just demolished. It was it was like you you immediately were on edge. You're horrified that this can happen because that could have been the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And and when they beam on board and the ship is destroyed and and it, it's just as a kid, I, I I couldn't believe it. It, it was so. It was like sacrilege. It was like watching The Exorcist somehow and being a Catholic. You know, you don't destroy. <laughs> well, you know, if you're a Catholic and you watch The Exorcist, okay. it's hardcore. That's what it was like. It was like somebody had defiled, like the innocence of Reagan McNeil. They had defiled the Constitution class, or ship. like John Borman did to Exorcist too. Well, it was yes, right. but it was it was a horrible. It, so it, it, my the very core of my being was disturbed as a child mm. by seeing the wrecked constellation and meeting her captain. It was worse. Yeah, it's the peak of badassery. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Just uh, it's such a it's great, tight, it's intense, great episode, and and the Spock Decker scenes are oh my amazing. god, they're so good because they you know Spock shows his strength in dealing with unknowns mm-hmm. like Commodore Decker is and following and, the chain of command. Yeah, he 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 maintains uh, you know his his uh, duty up until the point where logically he is able to relieve Decker. Yeah, and it's. It's right up until that moment, and you know Vulcans never bluff. And that ending, you know, it's it is it's sad, it's it's wrenching, and it's weirdly 
redemptive because you understood mm-hmm. what Decker was going through right. this entire or time. Trying to do, and and then the way that he does it, the way he had that the right he idea, out, just yes. not enough power to do it. But it's yes. also when Kirk is saying, "We're stronger with you than without you." Right. He knows everyone knows what Decker's going to do, and right. they're even in his torment. They're like, "We we, we it's better we, if we had you." You know, we don't please pleading, don't do this. Pleading. Yeah, pleading. So great. And then, of course, uh, you know, the end, the suspense, you know, you know Kirk is going to live, right? Because there are do more you? episodes. Yeah, I guess you do. But, I mean, you know, when the transporter is malfunctioning and they can't, yeah, yeah, and they can't beam him aboard. Gentlemen, I suggest you beam me aboard. Yeah. It's so great. And the yeah. cut, the cutaway when the, the, the smoke pot goes off yeah. in, the, in, the, in the transporter, <laughs> you really feel like this could go either way. <laughs> this could go really like, bad. You really believe yeah. that this might not work favorably for our captain. It's really just, I mean. Aging like, Jeffrey Hunter. Try it now, <laughs> Mr. Kyle. <laughs> and and the idea also again the great science fiction concept of the doomsday machine itself mm-hmm. that whatever civilization built this they didn't really take into consideration what could have happened and the the, the implication is that civilization was destroyed yeah. by its own creation and there was no one left to turn the doomsday machine off right so it Oops. went off into the cosmos destroying the Star system. How many? To how many billions? Bar, right? How many billions? Yeah. How many billions <laughs> of lives? Well, that's what Peter David said in Vendetta. How many billions of lives were destroyed by this this thing running amok? I mean, it's a great science that's fiction. True amok time, right? Or uh, amok, or how do you pronounce that? Hamhock. Hamhock time. But look, I think we can all agree <laughs> this is a, a fantastic episode, and uh, definitely, you know, easily could have been in our number one slot, but it's not. But before we reveal our number one episode. I want to. I want to just tell you uh, in our fifty how 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 our breakdown worked out. Break by, it down, show. I'm going to break it down for you. Yeah, boy. Uh, break it down. <laughs> okay. Uh, Enterprise was represented on our list with three episodes: Star Trek Enterprise, Voyager, uh, four episodes in our top fifty one. Um, uh, Deep Space Nine, thirteen episodes. Thirteen episodes. Uh, Next Generation, also thirteen episodes. Thirteen episodes. Uh, the animated series was represented by two episodes. Not bad for a show that was only on for two seasons. Two episodes. And finally, topping our list, uh, with 17 episodes in the top 50 episodes, the original series. That's actually episodes. a pretty good breakdown. It I mean, it's it's pretty balanced, I you know, would think. I also want to say something that I think should be mentioned. Star Trek is the original series. It really is. The concept of what Star Trek is at its very essence is the original series. Everything that came after, even the next generation with, with Gene Roddenberry's involvement, was a reflection of the original show. Right. And I, if you're going to have any kind of understanding of what Star Trek is as a cultural phenomenon, as an artistic or literary phenomenon, you must first examine what the original series is, what it meant, there, and where it came from. On that original no, series. I, and I would disagree with you guys. I would say... That everything uh, is is an extension of the original series, with the exception of Deep Space Nine. Yep. I believe that Deep Space Nine. One of the reasons I think we find it so compelling is because it uses this world of the Star Trek universe in a different way to tell different kind of stories, and it's why it's off putting to some. Whereas every other iteration of the original series. Um, uh, starting with Next Generation through Void, which are all ship shows, it all is trying to recapture the original series. It's very much in that vein. It, none of them reinvented the wheel. Yes, there were new characters, but they all were an extension of the technology of of the world of the ship, of, uh, you know, created in the original series. All right, you know what? You convinced me. No, but I think that's a really good point. I think that's a really good point to make. And and again, it came down to 
the stories about human beings, it's always about character, mm-hmm. character, character. Isn't it interesting that um, the the ship shows uh, relied on kind of the external trappings of Star Trek? Um, it, we associate with the, we associate it with the original series because they have ships and tricorders and phasers, and there's a captain, and they go from planet to planet, and shit kind of happens. Um, but Deep Space Nine, the way that we talk about the storytelling on that show, that was on a station. It, the station didn't go anywhere. Yes, they had runabouts and the Defiant, but it was really about the station and being sort of on one planet. But the kinds of stories that Deep Space Nine wrestled with and the way in which Deep Space Nine wrestled with those stories bears a stronger resemblance to the original series than any of the other shows, I would say, including The Next Generation, um, mm-hmm. simply because the vibe of The Next Generation is so different. Um, but you can see there's a there's a direct line between Jim Kirk and Ben Sisko. Those guys would totally get each other, right? It's like, and, and they B- did in Trials and Tribulations. Yes, they did. <laughs> and, and look, Captain Picard is awesome, right? But Captain Picard like, lives like he's in this his own sort of pocket universe of Trek that is awesome, yeah. but he doesn't live in the same space that these guys do. He wouldn't recognize He it. lives in Nils Barris's neighborhood. Well, I yeah. think that's another reason why <laughs> none of us are fans of Generations, because, you know, Kirk and Picard are asked to team up and work together, but I don't, I don't think any of us really feel that they ever belong together or that they would get along. They're two no. very different types who would have nothing in common. But if they had figured out a way to make the two of them, the two of them actually don't really work together. Yeah. You you needed to see the two of them on the bridge of the Enterprise yeah. doing something together. Enterprising. Right. And being enterprising. Yeah. Yes. And and I think it, Generations is one of the great missed opportunities in all of cinema history. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Well, before we reveal our number one show. <laughs> which you've probably guessed. Uh, uh, which, well, it, it's very likely you probably already Mary. know. But it's it's Miri. Yes. Miri, Miri. You, you, you told. Yeah. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a curveball to everyone Uh-oh. here. They're not expecting this. We haven't discussed this over uh, Burgers at Shake Shack prior to our recording this episode. Rafe Needleman. I, wanna... or <laughs> I have discussed it with Rafe Needleman, however. No, I, I do want to ask everybody for an honorary mention, an episode that was not in our oh. top 50 that you feel either should or should be mentioned or you would put in your top 50 um, that was n- neglected or you consider an oversight site or just something you want to shine a light on. So I'm going to start with... Um, Rob Burnett, Rob, what's your honorary mention? This has always been in my top ten episodes of Star Trek. It's from the original series, the second season. It's an episode called The Immunity Syndrome. Mm. And in this episode, there is a giant 11,000-mile-long space-going amoeba that's essentially a virus that has invaded our galaxy. It has already destroyed the starship Intrepid and the Gamma 7A star system and many star systems behind it. And the Enterprise finds itself face-to-face with, first of all, an 11,000-mile-long amoeba is incredible. But again, the crew is dying, uh, and they have to figure out a way to stop this thing before it destroys. It's going right into the heart of the most habitable, the most inhabited part of the, of the galaxy. And it... It is a phenomenal episode that has incredible character stuff between McCoy and Spock. I think some of the best in the series. And the competition between the McCoy and Spock to try and go on this suicide mission. They're actually competing to go on a suicide mission. And Kirk dealing with his crew and what's going on. It's just a fantastic episode with, again, a, a great a great concept. And I think it gets overshadowed. By the Doomsday Machine, yes, they're very similar. Episodes. They're very similar episodes, but 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 different, I think. Um, and 
I just I love the episodes so much. Unfortunately, you know they use library cues, they use music from other episodes mm-hmm. in this episode. But it's an episode I've dearly loved ever since I was a kid. And great it has visual effects inc- and maybe one of the great Doctor McCoy lines of all time. You should have wished me luck. Yep. Yeah. I mean, no, the Spock, Spock lines to Doctor McCoy. McCoy. You should have wished me luck, Doctor. Love it. Yeah, Darren. All right, I'm gonna uh, you know big surprise. I'm gonna pick a TOS episode too. Um, I'm going to have to go with the uh, first season episode, The Enemy Within, because uh, of its really fascinating analysis of the Kirk character and splitting him into two halves, one, you know, negative and one positive, let's say, um, and the qualities that are required by for successful command of a starship are mostly found in his negative side. Uh, that are tempered by his positive side, and I think it it gives a really inter- it's a great performance by Shatner, uh, a little over the top, but <laughs> yes, a little, <laughs> but it's really good. But that's what and, makes it great. And uh, you know, seeing seeing the indecisiveness of positive Kirk, uh, being you know completely unsure what to do, um, and seeing the fear in the negative side. And, you know, McCoy's astute observations as to what elements are necessary for Kirk to survive. I think it's it's very it's very fun. It, of course, begs the question, uh, why didn't they use shuttlecraft to go down and pick up Sulu and the and the folks down on the freezing planet? Um, But, you know, that's okay. It's fine. But I I, I've always liked that episode. Well, I'm going to. I, I'm going to say Turnabout Intruder. No, I'm not going to say Turnabout Intruder. <laughs> but I am going to pick the finale for another series, All Good Things. Ah, hmm. All Good Things uh, is, uh, yes, it is a little too leaden with techno babble, and that is uh, unfortunately due to Michael Pillar, but I think it's one of Ron Moore and Brandon's greatest collaborations. I think all the character moments in the finale work like gangbusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it bookends the series marvelously by using the mythology set up in... in um, Encounter Farpoint and brings us back. It recreates that era in one of the time periods extremely well. Um, it's epic. It's 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 a far better movie than uh, Generations. And uh, you know, again, by the third act, there's a lot a lot of techno babble. That was the Achilles heel for Next Generation through most of its run, sadly. But uh, it is just um, there's a ton of heart and uh, anchored by just a, a tour de force performance by Patrick Stewart yeah. as uh, as Picard as he's losing his faculties. Um, just a, a really, really, really special episode and a very satisfying conclusion to a wonderful series. Uh, well, we all have probably figured out I'm a bit of a Deep Space Nine partisan, and there's so many episodes that I would I would say, oh my God, yeah, that one. But I think I would pick To the Death, Hmm. To the Death is an episode where um the, dun, 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 dun. Uh, oh sorry. Yes. <laughs> uh the uh the defiant crew goes on a mission um with the Gem Hadar uh because of the Iconian Gateway um which was first introduced in a second season next generation episode um, Contagion I believe. Yes. Yeah. Um they were demons of air and darkness who could just appear out of nowhere and conquer and it was all about um, getting to this gateway and controlling it so that uh, you know the uh, so that you know it, it it couldn't be used against you and it just it's 
it's fantastic. You learn so much about the Jem Hadar. Um, it's the first time that uh, that you really see the Jem Hadar really interact with their Vorda. Um, the Jem Hadar kind of taking the Ketracel white um, and how offhanded and bored the Vorda is as he's sort of like, and you swear you'll die, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, and Chief O'Brien, like after the, the Jem Hadar give their, you know, rousing speech to each other, my name is blah, 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 first of the yada, yada, and like, you know, victory or death. And and uh, and Chief O'Brien just gives the opposite speech. My name is Chief Miles O'Brien, and I very much want to survive this fight. And it's just it's so human and it's so great. The action is so cool. Um, and it's just it's fun. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. All great choices. I it have was to, fun. It was fun. I have to say those are all great choices. <laughs> but now uh, we find ourselves uh, mercifully at the end of our list. Uh, the number one, the greatest Star Trek episode of all time, which will come as a surprise to virtually no one listening to this podcast, <laughs> The City on the Edge of Forever. Incredible power. It can't be a machine as we understand mechanics. And what is it? A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. What are you? I am the guardian of forever. Are you machine or being? I am both and neither. I am my own beginning, my own ending. I see no reason for answers to be couched in riddles. My answer is simply as your level of understanding makes possible. Which one was that? <laughs> Harlan <laughs> Ellison's... Well, uh, Gene Kuhn, <laughs> DC Fontana, Gene Roddenberry's magnificent episode yes. um, in which the uh, uh, Dr. McCoy, high on cortisone, that's tricky stuff, uh, <laughs> flees uh, the ship and uh, they find themselves on a mysterious planet, which is giving off these time disturbances. They encounter the Guardian of Forever, which is an uh, enigmatic uh, ancient civilization's way of... Uh, uh, portraying uh, different periods and, and eras in time. It's McCoy, a space-time donut. Uh, it's a space-time donut. Yep, delicious, red velvet. <laughs> and uh, McCoy jumps through the um, uh, the Guardian, finds himself uh, in um, the past during the Depression, and uh, time as we know it ceases to, has changed dramatically. The Enterprise is no longer in orbit, and it's a it's a shocking revelation. You know, it's the first time you remember. It's the first time they did this kind of story. Now it's de rigueur. You know, when Kirk looks up and into the heavens and realizes the Enterprise is no longer there, it, it's so powerful. And it was such a sort of groundbreaking shot too, uh, when the, the the camera sort of tilts up, booms up to the to the skies. Um, and and it's funny. It's the it's the little moments in the show that that work better than anything. I I, I just God, I love when Kirk and Spock. Are, are, are briefing everyone on the planet yeah. and, and saying... If you, th- if you think you've waited long enough, each of you have got to go in there yeah. and do this. Yeah, and then Uhura, you know, Scotty says, good luck, gentlemen, and Ahura says, you know, happiness at least. It's, yeah. it's really moving. Really I'm getting good. chills just yeah. talking yeah. about it. And, uh, and then they go, and, and there's some comedy, and there's some, you know, some I'm attempting some to build a drama. They wind up in Depression era New York. New York City, you know, on the, on the Culver City, Desilu backlot. Um and it is is so powerful because it starts off as a romp. You know, they're trying to, Spock talking his way out of, uh, you know, a policeman after they've stolen some clothes. And my ears got caught in a 
Chinese rice, uh, well, Picard, uh, Captain Kirk trying to ex- explain Spock's deformity. I just like listening to you explain it. <laughs> and, uh, my, his ears got caught in a uh, Chinese rice picker and a, a mercenary nearby. Uh, a, 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 a mercenary. <laughs> God damn, we've been doing these a long time today. Oh. Anyway, it's a great episode. And, uh, and, a missionary. And, but then, That's of show. course, a missionary, not a mercenary. <laughs> a that would be a different episode. So, um, but what's so wonderful position. is then Kirk meets Edith Keeler. And her sensibility, her passion for humanity and what we can become is equal to his. And it's one of the great romances in the history of Star Trek. Um, The brilliant Joan Collins, you know, now post-Dynasty, it's hard to believe that she could be portray a character so warm Mm -hmm. and and so um, uh, sweet and hopeful and and, pure. pure. And uh, it is one of the great romances, uh, which is, um, you know, uh, brought to an end, uh, sadly, in one of the most tragic conclusions to any Star Trek episode ever. And the, the you know, punch that it packs is incredible. I mean, that scene is incredible. Edith Keeler must die. And then to see how it's all resolved. Uh, it's, it's, he knows. It's, 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 it's amazing. The only thing that would have made it um, more interesting is if Spock had to drive the truck. <laughs> yeah, that really yeah. would have been great. Yeah. Wow, you fixed that so, one. I did. Good job. That's my Executive producer Darren Docker. But I, again... Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, like, uh, it, here's what I find interesting about the ending of that, that episode, and kind of what that episode is telling us. Other than, look, again, my God, it just it kills me every single time. Mm-hmm. Just the, the choice that gets made, and just the, the pain that's just... It, it's written on pain. everyone, you know. It, it's and Spock is acting; he's acting logically, but not without empathy. Yeah. But Edith Keeler embodies everything that sort of a postmodern, like or post TOS, like Trek fan would say that Star Trek mm, is. Right. You know, it's about the hope for the future, and it's peace, love, and happiness, and singing mm-hmm. kumbaya and holding hands, and all the good stuff, right? That we right. love is sort of like the the hopeful humanity, and the, that's true. The, but the point of the episode is, is it is too good for this world, and it must die. Yes, that's and correct. that's fascinating. Let me help; it will replace yes. even I love you. you. But yeah. it's so true yeah. because together. We can be great if we come together. It's, it was what Hillary said, stronger together, you know, and, and uh, that's really the message. You know, it's not that we will ever achieve perfectibility. Man, mankind, humankind is not, can never be perfect, but we got to keep trying. We got to keep striving. We you know, got to keep growing. But in the face of the threat that what Edith Keeler represented was the wrong person at the wrong yeah. time in the wrong Place. Well, she didn't believe in yeah. true evil, and of course, the Nazis I mean, were true evil. Exactly, and they, you know, it's the same thing when you know Kirk basically in A Taste of Armageddon or a lot of these episodes right. we talked about, where you know, in the face of true evil, you know, or, or it was a, a perfect bookend in a way is, uh, you know, in the Pale Moonlight, right. where sometimes you got to make the hard choices because. You, you you can't be playing by one set of rules when your adversary is playing with another, playing by another. Right. It's such a great episode. Well, one of the, also the great things about this story is it's time travel stories are, are irresistible, I think, to human beings because we all wish that we could have gone back and changed something mm-hmm. that we've done. It's usually a personal issue. But in this case, the time travel is really external. I mean, it's really about how... Uh, 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 something that isn't necessarily personal to you is a fulcrum for history. Mm. That history changes, but it becomes and personal. it becomes mm. personal. Yes, and 
and and I, I think one of one of the great moments in all of television history, and you got to hand it to William Shatner, is when he grabs DeForest Kelly, who could have saved Edith Keeler. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you see him clutching his friend his and the pain on his face. You know, he knows he's sending this woman he loves to her death. Yep. Again, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. He's saving all of history, all of history, but he has to, he's, he's taken on this great, well, he's, she's sacrificing her life, but he is knowingly letting her, letting her go to her death. And that's why right. Harlan was wrong. Yes. Right. I, I mean, Harlan has said to the day he died that the end of the episode was bullshit, that, you know, Kirk should, you know, was in love. He should have never saved her. Like, Spock, what's so powerful is that Kirk, Kirk. has to let her die. Yeah, right. right. It has to be Kirk's choice. I it mean, has to that's be Kirk's the choice. whole thing that works. Uh, no, I, absolutely. And, and it's such, again, a hugely compelling, big sci-fi idea. Mm-hmm. We could have wound up in the man from the high castle. That's essentially what happened. I right, mean, right, right, you yeah, know, yeah. in that episode, the man, yeah. they, that, that was the man from the high castle timeline being created, if, if you will. But it, it, it's, it's just such an incredible, and the way the story reveals itself. Edith Keeler must mm-hmm. die. You know, when, mm-hmm. when Spock uses stone knives and bearskins to build this this rudimentary computer that he can see what happened and the fact that they're drawn to this fulcrum point in time and the way the story unfolds, like you said, it begins like this romp, even though it's pretty dire at the beginning, yeah. but they turn it from being something funny to something being the most dire threat perhaps in all of Star Trek history. If they fail to do this... Star Trek is it Star on the Trek. line. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. You know, and it is just, I find myself returning to that. I think we've all wanted to meet our Edith Keelers. That's kind of, you know, and then, and then have her killed in front of us. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but never, like that, you, know, you fall if you're dating in love with Edith her. Keeler, you're never we're just doing a little street. Star Trek cosplay here. Uh, you're oh Edith, God. and I'm Kirk. And just, just no, right but there. I mean, she's such a one. She, the way she speaks about the future. Yeah, right. You know, about man co- going to the stars and how, how she is truly probably the, 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 the most pure soul in all of Star Trek. Other than perhaps Lol, Data's offspring. You got to listen to Goody Two Shoes. Yeah, that's no. (laughs) It's so great. And and the friendship between Kirk. That's always what I hated about Requiem uh, for Methuselah, where Spock, you know, erases Kirk's mind because of the loss over Reyna. Right. Which is like, really? The robot? Who cares? You know, he. I mean, it's like, I mean, if any, it, you know, and, and we talked about this. That was the other lost opportunity of many in generations when Kirk and the Nexus through, right. you know, is reunited with the love of his life. Right. How great would it have been had they cast um, Joe Collins, Collins yeah. as Edith Kelly? That would have made that whole movie bearable. Right. Like, oh, my God, how great would that have been? You know, and that would have given weight to his decision. Yeah, exactly, to leave. And again, to have to sacrifice her again. Again, yeah. And how great would it have been, though, if he sacrifices his life, but at the end, Kirk's, his echo is in the nexus with her? Like yeah. Captain Pike. Well, they, they you know, right. It, I mean, it's so funny because they say, well, you know, no, the, the general audience doesn't know who Keith Keeler is. Well, the general audience isn't going to see Generations. And they also you know? don't know whoever the hell. Antonia. Right. Antonia. I know it's one line to explain who this yeah. was the love of my life, who I, you know, right. had to you give know, up. We could remake Generations. Why don't we just remake it? Let's pitch it to Paramount. Our, our do it for free, CBS All Access. You got to keep it under 15 minutes, though. <laughs> yeah. <you laughs> no, no, I mean, let's do it for real. Let's go oh, get a 50 okay. million or $100 million okay, budget. Okay, Rob. <laughs> you know what? You, you know, you say there are not many people out there, dreamers like Edith Keeler. Well, you know what? You're one of them. <laughs> yes. And God bless you for it. 
Anyway, number one, City on the Edge of Forever. Write it down, folks. Yeah, in case, case you, you forget. forget. And by the way, can I, can I just say that this has sort of become the Citizen Kane of Star Trek episodes, oh. where it's constantly trying to be re-examined, where people are like, you know, Citizen Kane isn't the best movie ever made, but it belongs where it is. It it is it is it is the the ground zero of the greatness of Star Trek. It will always be there. It can never be taken away. You're so right because a couple of years ago, you know, it's like every year they do these surveys of Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane, and then when you're Vertigo one, right? Vertigo is a great movie. Citizen Kane is the greatest movie of all time. It's not Vertigo. And uh, people have tried to, like, be too cool for school. You know, recently it's like, oh, maybe it's not City on the Edge. They try and come up with something else just to mix it up, to try and sound like they're... And the children shall eat. You know, and and, yeah. and, and the reality is <laughs> hey, it is hey, City hey. on the Edge of Forever. It will always be City on the Edge of Forever. You know, like, I hope one day there is a Star Trek episode that's better than City. But... You know, actually, you know what? That is what it would have been called if it today. were a Voyager episode. <laughs> the city, the city, yeah. And I, I just think it's a the vi- donut. It's a very high bar, and uh, you know, space time donut. <laughs> and, and but you're absolutely right, Rob. I mean, it is the the Citizen Kane, the Stairway to Heaven, what have you, of of Star Trek episodes. And it's the city on the edge of forever of Star Trek. And, episodes. And it should come as no surprise <laughs> that it's number one. And I, I'm sure if we do this list again next year and future, uh, uh, you know, it will be roughly the same it list. Probably. <laughs> different things that we can say. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if we ever need to do this list again. Uh, so, um, but I got to say, this is a real pleasure slash AK marathon. Um, Thanks you know, for sticking with us this long. This has got to be doing, the longest episode doing, doing ever. Doing this with of you guys. You know, this has been the top 51 greatest episodes of, uh, hopefully, uh, not only is it ushering in your new year, you didn't spend all of 2019 listening well, to this you, episode. Right. It's uh, ushering in 2020. Yeah, right. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. <laughs> now that you've listened to all 50, 50 episodes. Um, I want to remind you, uh, uh, you can follow Inglorious Trek Experts on Twitter and Instagram and Glorious Trek, as well as on Facebook, where you can continue the conversation by uh, suggesting show topics or episodes we may have missed. Uh, give us feedback. Uh, um, we'd love to hear what you think. I know some people on Twitter put their episodes. I think they are all, the ones I saw so far, were all represented in our list. Um, in addition, um, if, uh, if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you're absolutely irate that Inner Light is not higher on the list, just put five stars. You know, just be, come on. Right. You, you encourage us to keep doing this. Maybe we'll get better. Well, maybe you're yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> maybe the next one will be better. You can <laughs> you can hear new episodes of Inglorious Trexperts every Sunday wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and and in this case, Sunday is now Monday. Um, <laughs> uh, if uh, if you're a fan of uh, Star Trek Discovery, don't miss out our, our all new sister podcast, Disco Nights, hosted by uh, the luminous Chase Masterson, uh, and who's joined by special guests every week. Ashley recently guest starred on the show. I'm I'm sure you, some of your favorite guest stars like Mark Leonard and Susie Plaxon will be joining them soon. And finally, a very special thanks to uh, uh, Bill Ritter and Second Natalie and everyone <laughs> here at the Electric Surge Network. Work for uh, making the show possible, and uh, it uh, you know, and not falling asleep at the board, Bill. Thank you for Thanks, that. Bill. You stuck with us through that that marathon uh, session. Uh, he's going to run home and watch some of these episodes. I think as soon as we're we're done, or wait for them to come to me TV. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, until uh, our next episode, which is tomorrow, <laughs> uh, on behalf of uh, Robert and Ashley and Darren and myself, keep on trekking. Shh. Engage.